Luke chapter 2, and this is the passage, this is the passage we opened to in my adult class that we never got to, but I knew we'd be getting here, so it's all right. This is the classic Christmas story passage. This is the passage that at our house, well, when I was a boy, my father read this every Christmas morning around the Christmas tree before we did anything, and then uh, now... At our house, every single year, before we uh, take down the stockings, before we open a present, before we do anything, I read Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. This is the, the uh, passage that uh, Linus reads on the stage. And in uh, Merry Christmas, Charlie Brown, this is the classic Christmas passage, Luke chapter 2 and verses 1 through 20. And you can follow along as I read. It says, It came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Let me remind you that Rome ruled the world at this time. And uh, this story is set in Israel, but Israel is controlled by Rome. And so whatever Caesar says, that's what the people worldwide had to do. And when it says taxing, it was not just a taxing, it was also a census. So you had to go and be counted, and then you had to pay your money. And when you were counted, you had to go to the place of your your lineage. And uh, so if you, uh, if you live in Danbury, but you're not from here, you say, well, I'm, I live in Danbury, but I'm originally from Chicago. Well, you would have to go to Chicago. If your family's from Chicago, you would have to travel to Chicago to be counted and to be taxed. So that's what's going on here. And verse 2, this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And let's stop right there. This is, um, we have made this a very uh, beautiful setting. And uh, yet I want you to understand, let me, let me give you a recommendation, something that we do in our house every year. We have a, a number of Christmas traditions. One of the things that we do is uh, every year, usually on Christmas Eve, before we go to bed, we watch a, a, a video, it's probably 10 years old, called the, the Nativity. Is that the name of it? And it's not a super famous story, but it is the best depiction of the, the uh, trials, if you will, of uh, Joseph and Mary. You know, we, we like to uh, Hollywoodize everything, and uh, sometimes we get this glamorous picture of, of what it was like, but the fact is, start to finish, it was a struggle, and uh, that, that movie, The Nativity, I think, you, I think you can get it also probably on Netflix or uh, anything like that, and uh, it depicts, yes, the glory of it, but also the struggle, and uh, it, it was a struggle, start to finish, 
And so here they are. They're in Bethlehem. They had a good idea that probably she was going to give birth while they were in uh, Bethlehem. Don't forget they had to take this rugged journey with a a lady who was late uh, term in in her pregnancy. And so it's a difficult journey. They get to Bethlehem while they're there. There's no place for them to stay. And so they, they wind up uh, taking shelter in a stable. And if you, you mothers think about all of the, the uh, everything, the high drama of uh, giving birth and think about the uh, the cleanliness of the birthing center and everything is just right and those little blankets that are the exact same color in every hospital and and uh, those little tiny little cribs on wheels that they're in and, and all, all of that and think about trading that for the place where the animals feed and that's where the son of God was born that's the setting where this probably still teenage girl gives birth to God in the flesh. So that's everything that just has happened here. And I have to tell you, it had to feel to Joseph like, boy, did I royally goof this up. But this is exactly the way God wanted it. So that's the birth of Christ. Now we're going to focus, though, on what happens next here. Verse number 8. There were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. The angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, Suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God on the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. It came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. When they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. I want you to picture what we're going to focus, and I've done this before, and in case you say, Pastor, you know, I've heard you pretty much give this same message before. It's not so much a message as it is a revisiting of the circumstances. I'm a very strong believer, and there comes times throughout the year where you just need to stop and go back to the scene. You need to stop and revisit things. Never does a 4th of July go back, go by where I do not stop and revisit Philadelphia and Boston. Not physically, I wish I could, but mentally and emotionally. Uh, just a few weeks ago, Pearl Harbor, I went back and revisited December 7th, 1941 for a few minutes. I think there are certain times in the year where it's very important to who we are 
to stop and revisit certain places. And one of the places that I love to visit is this field in Bethlehem or outside of Bethlehem. Shepherds are out there. You ever take a moment in a night, in, the, in, in you know, 8, 9, 10 o'clock at night, and just take in the stillness. You just go outside and just take in the stillness. And of course, here we can't really get perfect stillness. There's always a, you know, a train whistle or a uh, an engine or something off in the distance or a siren. I think the greatest stillness I've ever experienced in my life was one night my brother-in-law took us camping in the Rocky Mountains and I've never experienced absolute stillness like that. But such as it is, do you ever take in the stillness? And here's these men. They were shepherds. Understand, this is not a religious play that is being played out. These are not characters out in the field going, okay, what's my line? When them them angels going to show up? No. These are men doing their job like they'd done every other night probably since they were small boys being trained to take care of the sheep. Understand also that for 4,000 years, mankind has been told A Savior is coming. Why a Savior? What do we need a Savior for? What's that about? Well, because we're a fallen race. God created mankind to be his special friends. Now, that sounds kind of cutesy, but it really, God created mankind in his own image. We're the only creation that resembles God in that God is body, soul, and spirit, and we are the only creation that is body, soul, and spirit. And it was God's desire that we would choose to love him. That was his desire and his purpose in creating the human race. In order for us to choose to love him, we, were, we had to have some other option. And God gave us that option in a tree called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And mankind, the first man and woman, took that other option. And they did exactly what every one of us would have done. If you say, man, if I'd have been in a garden, I would have eaten the tree of life. I would not have eaten that other fruit. You're absolutely wrong. Every one of us under those same circumstances would have done the same thing. So we are a fallen race, we are a corrupt race, we are a rebellious race. I would advise you not to waste your time comparing how good you are to how good other people are. That is not the point. The point is God made us to choose him and we chose to do our own thing. Now if you think that doesn't include you, can you honestly say, that every moment of just this past week has been spent in the pursuit of glorifying God. You woke up in the morning saying, today I just want God to be pleased. I just want to 
No, I, I'm the pastor of the church. I can't say yes to that. None of us does. Do you understand if we were living, if we had made the choice to choose God and not our own way, that would come naturally to us. It would come naturally to us to, I just want to glorify God all the time. That is just one of the many evidences that we are a fallen race. We chose our own condemnation by choosing our own way. That's why we needed a redeemer. That's why we needed a savior. And there was only one who could qualify to be our savior. And that's if there were another human being who had never sinned, who could have all of our sin piled upon him. And he could take the punishment of all of our sin all at once by dying for us, taking our hell upon himself. But who could do that? I can't die for you. I've got my own sin. You can't die for me. You've got your own sin. There's only one that could do that, and that's if God himself became a human being just like we are. So from day one, Genesis 3.15, if you read it, you see God promised to Adam and Eve right in the Garden of Eden that there is coming of the seed of the woman someone who will crush the power of evil. How long will that take? A year? When's he going to come? Is he going to come in 10 years? Is he going to come in 100 years? Is he going to come in 500 years? It turned out they waited 4,000 years. It was 4,000 years after Adam and Eve, but they didn't know it was going to be 4,000 years. Hey, you've heard people say, Jesus is coming back. He's coming again. We've all heard about that, and it, it, we've heard it so much, and, and you know, crazy people setting dates and things like that, which is not according to Scripture. Gets to the point where we go, yeah, 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 Jesus is coming again. We, yeah. And we've only been waiting for that for 2,000 years. They waited for twice that long for Jesus to come the first time. And imagine how much cynicism there was that, oh, yeah, they, you know, they say he's, this, this, God's going to send a savior, savior. And uh, even God's chosen people, the Jewish people, got to where they just really didn't totally believe it. But there were a few that held out hope. When it finally was time after 4,000 years, there was a small handful of people that God let them know, it's time. You've waited for 4,000 years for a Savior, and it's time. Boy, can you imagine? You think about the, the second coming of Christ. Can you imagine if God chose to let you in on, hey, it's time. You, and can you imagine you'd be telling people, they'd be like, okay, I knew you were a little nuts, but you know, now I know for sure. God let a couple people know. God let a man named Zacharias know, hey, it's time. You've waited 4,000 years. It's time. Then he let Zacharias' wife, Elizabeth, know. It's time. The wheels are starting to turn. The plan is in motion now. It's going to happen. People around them certainly were scoffers and said, oh, they're, they're just religious nuts. You know, they're a little extreme. They're, they're kind of zealous, but they knew. They knew. Why did they know? What was so special about them? Because they'd been seeking the Lord. Um, God led a young lady named Mary, 
No. Well, there was no, there was no halo overhead. There was nothing special about her except she had been one of those young ladies who still believed God's going to send a Savior through his people. And God sent a messenger to Mary one day and said, it, it's time. It's time? Yeah, and, and there's something even bigger than that. It's time, and it's you. Mary wasn't sure what to think about that. Then when her, her condition started to get her into trouble, And her fiancé is thinking, okay, I thought I was marrying the best girl on the planet. What's that? What's going on? And God said, okay, I'm going to let you know too, Joseph. It's time. The thing that I've been promising for 4,000 years, it's time. The ball is rolling. Things are in motion. God let some other people know. There was an old man down at the temple. And he had served the Lord his, his whole life. And he, his whole life, had prayed, Lord, let me live to see. I know we've been waiting 4,000 years, but let, let it happen in my lifetime. And God began to put it in his heart. His name was Simeon. God began to put it in his heart that you're old, your days are numbered, but you're going to live to see the Savior. Because it's time. There was a, an older lady. And she had lost her husband. Been a widow for years. And God let her know. He put it in her heart. Hey, it's time. The thing that the human race has waited for for all these years, it's time. He's coming. There were some men, and God didn't appear to them, but they lived far away, and they were brilliant men. They were learned men, and they... We're studying the stars and they were studying history and the writings of the prophets. And they put all their calculations together and they came to the same conclusion at the same time. It's time. The stars say it's time. The prophets say it's time. And they were so convinced that they were willing to stake their wealth and their reputation on taking a journey from where they were to where that star was. And it led them to this little town of Bethlehem. Nobody appeared to them. There was no angel that came to them. It was through their studying their research, which, by the way, is a great reminder to us, if you have a heart for God and you're seeking the Lord, you're going to find him. You're going to find him. If you genuinely seek the Lord, you're going to find him. And then we come back to these shepherds, the ultimate picture of the common man. Shepherds taking care of the flock. And here they are in the stillness of the night. And all of a sudden, the sky lights up. And there's an angel. Can you imagine these guys just... They had, they had experienced hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of still nights like this one. But now the glory of God lights up the sky and a heavenly messenger speaks to them, says, fear not, 
I have great news. Good tidings of great joy, and this good news is for all people. If you go into Bethlehem, you're going to find a young couple and their baby boy is going to be in the strangest place. He's not going to be in a, in a beautiful cradle. He's going to be in a, in, a, in a manger filled with hay. And when you see that, you're going to know it's time. All those stories you heard growing up, boys, it's happening. It's happening now. God is sending a Savior. They were scared to death. The angel went away. Uh, before the angel went away, uh, the heavenly, I mean, a choir greater than any hallelujah chorus you've ever heard starts singing out in the middle of the, of the fields. And the choir goes away. The angel goes away. The glory goes away. And they look at each other and say, you want to go look? By the way, there comes a moment for every single one of us when we've heard the message and then we've got to decide, like those shepherds had to decide, should we check this out? Every human being's got to decide, should I check this out? I have no doubt somebody in this room, there came a point in your life in the past where you had to decide, okay, I hear all this Bible, all this Jesus, all this uh, Jesus died for my sins, the cross, the resurrection, I've heard it, and now I've got to decide, should I check this out? And you decided no. For whatever reason, you decided no. And I'm here this morning to urge you to reconsider. So they heard this big announcement. They heard the angel's message. Should we, should we go check this out? And they said, yeah, let's go check this out. They, they leave their sheep. They go running into Bethlehem. And sure enough, the strangest thing, a young couple, the lady has just given birth, and the baby's lying in this manger. He's lying in a pile of hay, and they go running out, and they tell everybody they can find, you're not going to believe it. It's time. It's time. It's time. I want to say this, and we're all finished. Everyone here has reason to celebrate this morning if you have received the Savior for yourself. You and I are part of the fallen race. We've sinned against God. We lie. We hate we steal. See, I, you know, I mean, you don't call me a liar. Wait a minute. Have you ever lied? Okay, if you weren't a liar, you would never have lied. Yeah, I don't, I don't hate a lot. I just got a couple people that I really, you know, if, if they were to drop dead, I wouldn't, I wouldn't cry. But I don't hate a lot. Okay, if you weren't a sinner, if you weren't a hater, you wouldn't, you wouldn't hate at all. The fact that we do any of these things one time exposes our sinful, rebellious nature. And God says, because we've sinned against him, we have chosen our own fate. We have chosen, listen, we have chosen eternal damnation for ourselves. It's serious business. But God sent a Savior. That's what that cross is about. Jesus took our eternal damnation for us. 
And then three days later, he rose from the dead and conquered death. He has paid for sin. He has conquered death. And he waits for you to receive him, just like you receive a gift. I stood out here this morning as as, uh, those of you that rode the bus were coming in. And Kristen handed me a present. She said, Pastor, this is for you and and, uh, Miss Amy. Now, if if I'd have said... Nah, thank you. No, thank you. That would have been very rude. But not only that, I wouldn't have received the present. So just the fact that she prepared it and she gave it and she presented it, I wouldn't have had it if I rejected it. In order to get the gift that she prepared for us, I had to say, thank you. Would you listen to this statement from the Bible word for word? The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Have you ever received the gift for yourself, the gift of Jesus? Have you ever received him for yourself? If you say no, then my message to you is the same as the the angel's message to the shepherds. It's time. It's time. This is the time. I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that. You won't have to embarrass yourself or anything at all. You're just going to deal directly with God as we close in prayer. Let's bow our heads. Lord, I pray that you'd help everyone here.